I know this is a lot to take in all in one day, but uh, Father, we need your help. Lord, I pray that you'd expand, just expand us. Lord, enable us to take in more. And I pray, Lord, we'll just take it straight into <coughs> that revelatory part of us. Lord, I just pray you just speak individually to us, right into our spirits, so we catch the real heart of God for this whole thing. We pray that we'd understand it with our minds, but also see it with our spirits. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start in session two, Unlocking the Power of the Cross. We're going to look at the famous passage in Romans 6, 2 to 14. So you can read it up here on the screen with me. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self, or old man, was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Next slide. Now, if we died with Christ, and that's the big if, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. For sin shall not be your master. Because you are not under law, but you are under grace. Wow. (laughs) Father, thank you for that amazing word, Lord. Just open it up to us. Now, the first stage of the cross we've seen, Jesus on the cross. Stage one dealt very much with the fruit of what had happened. The fruit was our slavery, the negative, but also our separation from God. That's what God wants to bring back. Slavery to Satan, but also separation from God. That was the fruit. And he met it, the first face of the cross, first stage of the cross, number one, by paying the redemption price to buy us back from slavery to Satan. It has been paid in full. That's, it is finished. The debt's totally paid. No more legal claim over me. That's part one. But the second part, the alienation from God, is satisfying the wrath of God against sin, forgiving me and restoring me into an intimacy with the Father. That's Mark Stibbe's thing for next time. You must come and hear Mark. He's wonderful on the Father's love. So those are the two parts. That's the first stage of the cross. But the reality is that many people are forgiven, but they still struggle with sin. And they live in frustration, they live in defeat, and finally they just clothe themselves with these nice facades of religion and they just keep on going. They think that is the Christian life. And millions of believers just camp at the first stage of the cross. And because they don't go on into the cross and through it, they live in defeat. They live in a sense of... I'm forgiven, I'm saved, but I'm not really free. And so many people live like that. And as a pastor, I just, I'm constantly counseling people who say, I'm saved, 
but I'm not free. I've got these strongholds in my life which, where the enemy just mocks me. I just cannot break through this. And so this is where we need to really understand. I remember when I got saved, I got saved in a revival in Cambridge. It was the most extraordinary move of God. I thought, and everybody else thought, it was normal. The Spirit of God just swept through the university. Uh, David McInnes had come up to, to preach at the university. I was, um, at that time, I was, uh, I'd actually been kicked out of residence. I was drunk every night. I have to admit this. I was drunk every night. I was kicked out of residence because I was just a bad influence. I used to climb over the buildings and rattle on people's skylights and shout down, the judgment of God is upon you. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I was in, why am I telling you all this? It's got nothing to do with the cross. But, I, hey, suddenly I got gripped. I was living on this house, but I got gripped with the presence of God. And that was the week that David McInnes came. I remember being so gripped with the Spirit of God, I ran across Parker's Peace to Holy Trinity Church, and I watched all these students responding. I don't know which night Nikki Gumbel got saved, but Nikki Gumbel got saved then, and Nikki Lees, Nikki Wells, Ken Caster, all the guys that run HGB. We had an amazing revival. But it took me 18 months to get saved, even though the Spirit of God was moving. But when I got saved, I saw all these wonderful students um, lots of different backgrounds, but I watched them slowly beginning to step back into the shadows. And that really, it puzzled me because I've been saved with the white heat of, you know, God showed me and he spoke to me. It was just amazing. But uh, I watched people, one of my close friends, Kings, he slowly slipped back because he could not get over his sexuality. He had a problem with sexuality and he couldn't believe that God could take that label from him. Other people had problems with their, their lust, sex life, relationships, loneliness, past. But I watched these people who had been saved in the white heat of a real revival. I mean, we had 800 people in the Bible studies on a Friday night. It was incredible, prayer meetings every morning. But slowly, even in that atmosphere, I watched people slipping back into the shadows. And it, it really hurt me, I thought, why? Why? And it's basically because they knew they were saved, but they were not free. And they had no faith that they could get free. Now, when I got saved, nobody ever told me that there was more to the cross than Jesus on the cross. Nobody ever told me that there was, there was a progression. And so I lived in defeat myself. But my Bible says, and your Bible says, sin shall not be my master. I've got to believe that. If I don't believe that, then there's, there's no point going on. I've got to believe that there has to be something in God, and in the, it is in the cross, that breaks the power of sin. The power of sin has got to be broken. So what is this pivotal key for victory in the Christian life? Now, Romans 6 is that, what we've read, is the pivotal key for victory over sin. Because Jesus didn't die, as I said before, to improve us. He came to remove us. He had to destroy little me. Because once he'd dispensed of that, then a new creation could come. And the key is, he died, I died. His cross becomes my cross. And so we have the second stage of the cross, which is me on the cross. And it took me ages before finally I recognized that I had to go to the cross. Yes, Jesus on the cross was fantastic. But once I was on the cross, saved from the power of sin, ruling through my old man. Now, I grew up in evangelical circles calling the old man. The NRV calls it the old self. But whatever it is, we get rescued from the power of sin that rules through that old man. Now, this stage two deals with what is the threefold root of this old man. Now, let me describe it, because this is three things. First of all, it's Adam's sin. All of that, I'm part of Adam's race, so I'm going to be tainted with Adam's sin. There's going to be, there's going to be something that comes onto me because I'm a human being. That is the first thing. The second thing is that I'm also 
uh, brought up in a family and in an environment. And so I'm shaped by that. I'm shaped by my parents. I'm shaped by my school. I'm shaped by my environment. And those two things, the Adamic sin, or sinfulness, and then the shaping of all the stuff that's happened to me in my environment, those are the first two. The third thing is all my personal choices of sin. Things I've chosen, I will do this. I will live in independence. I will live in rebellion. Those things, all those three, those are the three roots of the old man. Hereditary past, parental and educational past, perhaps, and our personal past, our personal history. Those three things. Now, that's called the old man or the old self. And that, when we go to the cross, when we place ourselves on the cross by faith, that has been destroyed on the cross. And we've got to believe that. At the cross, that part of, the, of me, my old man, the Adamic, parental, and my, all my own thing, those three things, that was rendered powerless by the cross. But I've got to believe it. I've got to know it by revelation, and I've got to believe it, and I've got to walk into that. You see, the full sin of Adam's race was poured into Jesus. Unbelievable filth. He took it. He took all of that, Adamic, but he also took all the stuff that had happened in my hereditary past. In Christ, all of that curse of the hereditary is broken, and he's also paid for all my personal stuff. He took it all. Unbelievable filth. He became sin for me. He became sin for you. Can you imagine you know, all of that just being poured into him? You've got to just, you've got to, it's almost impossible to conceive of that, that he, he'd sucked it onto himself. No wonder in the garden he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He knew what he was about to drink. He knew he was about to drink just such filth. Sinless, stainless, spotless lamb of God was going to have to drink the full yuck. He became sin for me, for you. And that rendered powerless all of that old man. Now that destroyed the root. It destroyed me. And if I choose to believe that I'm on the cross, not just Jesus, but I am on the cross. My old man is on the cross. I no longer have to be rooted back into my past life. And it's simply, if I believe it, I begin to walk into it. If I don't believe it, I just stay in my shadow. And you see, so many people walk into their shadows. They walk facing backwards. They're not Fix the eyes on Jesus into the light. Because you see, if you fix your eyes on Jesus and what he's done on the cross, you walk out of your past. You can let it go like a dead chameleon skin. You can just let it go. But so many people walk back and they walk into their shadows and they, they keep on rehearsing things and remembering things. And whatever you focus on will control you. Whatever you fix your eyes on will rule you. you can't, you've got to discipline the way you're, you think. Stop looking at that. Cut off from it and start fixing your eyes. And the Bible says, as we behold him, we are transformed from glory to glory. It's the beholding him that changes us. And all of that dead skin, that dead past, it just is sucked away. But too many Christians, and I watch them in counseling, they just walk round and round rehearsing their past wounds, past hurts. Everybody's been through stuff. But the cross, once we put ourselves on the cross, that old man, that corporate thing, all of that rendered powers. It no longer has to hold us. Now, by faith, this is where I die and my life ends. And I'm no longer trying to conquer sin. Now, hey, I tried, <laughs> I'm sure you've tried, to conquer sin. You know, we all do it. We get saved and then we think, well, I mean, when I got saved, I thought, now I have to live a good life. I had to try and do good things. But, you know, my little goodness tank goes, glug, 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 glug. <laughs> you know, very soon you realize, hey, it's humanly impossible to live the Christian life. Nobody ever told me that. You cannot humanly defeat sin. You've got to live daily by the Spirit, trusting in Him. And that's why every morning, I drop on the carpet and I just break bread and say, God, I can't do this without you. I need you. 
utterly dependent on your strength. I can't do anything without you, God. You see, because I'm broken. I was such a self-made man. I mean, I come from a line of generals, admirals, and um, umpteen generations of military. The world was my oyster. I was going to be a great success, great general. I was so arrogant, thinking I could do it. Rachel even keeps a photograph to remind me of what I looked like. She got a photograph of me standing in a very posh place with my elbow on the mantel place in my uniform. <laughs> I'm about to take the world. I mean, God really had to go for that. God had to really go for that and break that arrogance and that pride to bring me from self-effort. You see, I thought that because I could do stuff, I could live the Christian life. I could succeed. I could do great things for God. I, 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 it's, it's all about me. And I remember when I left Cambridge, I went back to my regiment in Germany. And uh, I began to recognize that God was, had issues with me. <laughs> you know what it's like when God has issues with you. I began to, you know, God was in my face. And I used to go down to the, the, the chapel every night. And I used to, after work, I used to go to the army chapel in Germany. I used to cry out to God and cry out to God. I was so desperate for him. And it was just, I just found it, my Christian life hard. There were no other Christians. And I just said, God, how do I do this? And I remember when I was praying at night, I saw a dove had come into the church. And it was... When I tried to catch this dove to throw it out of the church, it just fluttered away and it flew up to the rafters and hit the rafters and then, exhausted, landed somewhere else. And every time I tried to catch it, put my hands on it, off it went. It took seven days before it finally got the message. It could not set itself free. And I remember that day, it was just on the floor, and I slowly put my arms around it, my hands around it, carried this dove to the, the, the door, and as I released it, God said, and that is what you're like. That's what you are doing to me. He said, you will not let me put my hands on you. Every time I try and put my hands on you, you say, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, and I can do it. And then you just say, no, I can't. And you just do he said, when will you get the message, you have to die? You've got to go to the cross. He was really in my face, wouldn't let me, wouldn't let me get out of this. I had to get out of the driving seat. I was so in control, so much a self-made you know, wanting to take the empire type thing. And it's that empire spirit's in all of us. You know, we all think we can do it. It's got to be broken. We've got to get to that place where we recognize I can do nothing. God, but for you, but for your spirit, but for your grace. God, I'm out of here. I can do nothing. And that is what I live with. I live with it daily. Now, the key to this life of salvation is exactly the same key as having a successful marriage. The key is, little me has got to die. Little me has got to die. And the trouble is, little me doesn't like dying. I love the, the um, wedding ceremony that, and I've incorporated into many of our wedding ceremonies at St. Aldate's, but I learnt it from Portugal. A wonderful picture where both mothers come forward and they light a candle which has been held by the bride and the groom. And then the bride and the groom walk up to the altar carrying their candle. And then they light a brand new candle. And then they blow their candle out. Symbolic that Gordon dies, Rachel dies. Behold, a new creation, Gordon and Rachel. And you see, the trouble is, in our married life, most of us don't want to blow our candle out. We won't go, we want, it's about me, my, my rights. And you see, if we live for each other, marriage is heaven. If we don't, marriage is hell. Christian life is exactly the same. We come to Jesus, we make exactly the same cold, clinical, yes, I will. You know, it is a decision, it's not a feeling. We give our lives to Christ, and we just, we choose to surrender 
It's got to be 100%. If you don't give your wife 100% or your husband, it doesn't work. You can't say, Rachel, I give you, you know, I give my life to you, but I'm going to have a little bit on the side here. I mean, big trouble. <laughs> you can't do that with Christ. It's got to be, God, I surrender everything. You're going to be my Lord. That makes us one. One in flesh with your husband and wife, but one in spirit with him, with Christ. That is a mystery. We are one in spirit. When we make that commitment, we become one spirit with him. That is extraordinary. But what stops it is when little me won't die. That's why Paul in Romans 6 says, listen, all of this thing has happened. We read the verses. So you have got to do something. You've got to reckon yourself dead to sin. Now, that word reckon yourself is an accountancy term. You've got to add up a few things and think, okay, because of those things, I'm going to reckon that I am going to be dead to sin, dead to the power of sin. Now, how do we do it? These are the three things we're going to have to recognize. He said, because you know, or said, do you know, in Romans 6, do you know that when you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into his death? Now, hey, I'm an Anglican, but we still give people full immersion in baptism. You know, it's wonderful. Full immersion is the way baptism needs to be because it's symbolic of burying ourselves. And it's wonderful standing in front of a tank and uh, saying those wonderful words, you know, do you you trust this? You know, I won't go through the Anglican liturgy. But when they go into the water, it's like I'm burying that old person. Dead, dead, dead. We don't hold them down too long, but eventually they come up and they're alive. <laughs> but it's got to be, it's, it's symbolizing death. And that's why immersion is, is the picture of a baptism. It's so important that people go under the water. And uh, yeah, I better be careful, otherwise I'll get theological here. But it's important. You know, even people who've been baptized as children, we, we dunk them too. We, we reconfirm their baptism vows. But they still go through the water because they need to recognize that is being buried. We've got to know that this is important. But you see, that burial, it's also baptism, is a little bit like a wedding ceremony. It's as if when Jesus went down to the Jordan, it was as if Father said, Jesus, you've got a choice. I mean, he lived for 30 years. He said, Jesus, you've got a choice. Will you take all of stinking humanity? Will you give yourself unconditionally to all of this stinking, foul, independent, rebellious humanity? Will you take it? Will you love it? Will you cherish it? And as Jesus went into the water, he said, I will. Baptize. I'm dying to myself. I'm giving myself 100% to humanity. So when he rose up, God had a party. God knew he had a vessel that he could pour out all of that sin. It was a choice. Jesus had the choice. He made that choice to give himself to that baptism, symbolizing that there was a wedding happening. He was marrying himself. He was giving himself totally to us. So when we get baptized, we complete the picture. It's as if Father saying, well, that's what Jesus has done. Now, will you take Jesus to love, to honor, to obey. Will you do it? And as we go in, we say, yes, I'm yours. And that, that bonds us together. We become one in spirit with Christ. And that is the key. Dying to ourselves, giving everything to him. That's first thing gives us the key to our Christian life and also to married life. The second thing we've got to know is that When he was crucified, my old self or my old man was crucified too. Now this is that all of that old stuff that used to grip me and hold me, the Adamic nature, the hereditary past, my personal sin and choices, I'm stripped away and gets cut away from me. And that is given a good burial. When I come up out of the water, I don't have to have that anymore. I don't have to refer to that anymore. I don't have to look at that anymore. That is finished. If any man is in Christ, new creation. The old has gone. We've got to recognize it's so important. I'm cut off from all of the past. And then thirdly, we've got to realize that because Jesus rose again, I rose with him as a new creation.
Now, Jesus was, the Bible says, the last Adam. Jesus, as the last Adam, when he went in to death, he took all of the sin of Adam's race on him. It's an extraordinary thing to even think about that. He was the last Adam, but he was the second man. He was the new creation, the new man. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 49, that he was the man from heaven. And that's the image we've got to recognize. That's who we reflect. As Christians, we reflect that image of the man from heaven. He wasn't just a man, and I'll talk more about this later, who just had come back to life. There was a completely new creation. And that's the one that I'm married with. That's the one that I'm clothed with. Clothed with his power, his glory. With access to all his riches, his gifts, his authority. Now, how does that become possible? It becomes possible because of one law. It's the law of what I would call the law of generational transfer. It's very important to understand this as a, a law is a law is a law. But this law of generational transfer, or the law of heredity, it answers the question, how can an event 2,000 years ago affect me today? How does, it, how does it work? Well, let's look at Melchizedek and Levi. In Hebrews 7, verse 9 and 10, it says one might even say that Levi who collects the tenth, or the tithe, paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. So what it's saying here is that Levi wasn't born when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, but it affected his future. He wasn't born, Abraham did something, he had no say over it, but it affected his future. And that law is very, very clear, and you see it a lot when you're in counseling. Whatever is in my physical or spiritual past and lineage will affect me, both for good and for bad. If I had married into royalty, which I didn't, now that would have had a huge impact on my kids. They had no choice on it. But if I had married into royalty, they would have had to bear the consequences of that for the future, hounded by paparazzi, <laughs> plus all the other perks. But, you know, it, it can, we've got to get, understand this. Whatever has happened in my lineage will affect me for good or bad. If I choose to get divorce, it is not just a personal thing. That's going to affect history. It's going to affect my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. That is going to hugely impact the future. Whatever is in our lineage will affect us, both for good or bad. Now, both the blessing and the curse are there. We can be blessed by past generational things, but we can also be cursed. There is such a thing as the relentless generational blessing which pursues you. You know, if a generational line had been honoring and obeying God, you can suddenly find yourself as a child being swept off your feet by the blessing of God. I have been unbelievably blessed in my life because of past wonderful saints in my background. They just, you know, I didn't deserve it, but God wanted to bless the future generations. I was in them even though I wasn't yet born. Can you understand what I'm saying? But the same is true. That if my forefathers had been involved in witchcraft or Freemasonry or there'd been a divorce or there'd been some really bad stuff, some murder had happened or whatever had happened, that could also affect me. So I inherit both blessing but I also inherit curse. Now God's not going to stop us having the blessing but in Christ, when we step into Christ, the Bible says all those curses are broken. By faith we can believe that all of that hereditary line can be broken. So I was in the loins of Adam when he sinned. I inherited his sinful nature. In the same way I was in, the, I was in Christ by faith when he paid for sin. When Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin, I was part of him. By faith, I can be part of him. And that's how it can affect us. I, was, I wasn't there, but I was there by faith. I was there when he 
died. I was there when he paid for sin. I was there when he was raised. That's why it's a faith thing. It's not make-believe. By faith, it can be activated. Once you see it and you accept it by faith, you suddenly think, wow, that's for me. By faith, I was in him. I was part of him when he did all of that. So when he rose, that same resurrection life is in me. Now, Romans 6 verse 5 says that by faith we're baptized into Christ. Now that's being baptized into that lineage of Christ. So when I go into that water, not only am I baptized symbolizing my death, but I'm also being connected to his lineage. I'm baptized into Christ. I know we say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but we're actually baptized into Christ. We are immersed into him, put into him. And by faith, we are then part of everything that he's experienced, both death and resurrection. Can you see and understand that? So Paul in Galatians 2.20 was able to say, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I am living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's all by faith. And what an incredible thing. When I finally saw the second stage of the cross, I was able to say, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And every day I'm going to live by faith. Every day I'm going to trust him, his grace, his power, his gifts flowing in me and through me. So when he returned from heaven, the Bible says in Romans 6, 5, certainly also we are his resurrection. It's not in the likeness of, that was what the translators put. Certainly also we are his resurrection. There's something of his resurrection life that is imparted to us. It's in us, it's on us. It's what we carry. There's resurrection life and power that's in me. But we've got to believe that. He died, I died. He rose in power, and I rose with the same clothing. And that is the image that I've got to have. But the question all the time in counseling is, am I dead? Do I, how do we know we're dead? We've got to ask ourselves the question, am I dead to myself? Do I still try and hide Do I still try and justify myself? Do I still try and make excuses for myself? Do I just, do I keep on living all the time worried about what's going to happen to little me? Trying to succeed, me trying to succeed, me trying to uh, prove myself. I mean, I lived for many years just trying to prove myself. And many people live treading water almost, trying to keep their heads above water, trying to prove, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And God says, no, just just sink. Just sink into the knowledge that you can't do it, but I can in you. I can make it happen through you. There's a great expression that dead men have no toes. In other words, you you can't offend them. If somebody's dead, you can't tread on their toes. And, you know, you meet people like that. It doesn't matter what you do to them. They just don't get offended. It's because they're dead. Dead men have no toes. But if you find that there's something in your flesh that keeps on reacting, you have to recognize there's something in me that needs to be put to death. Something needs to be dealt with. I went through a really interesting time. I call it interesting time last year. I went through a time of incredible hardship being falsely accused, being uh, lied about, being lots of, uh, lots of nasty stuff being thrown at me. And uh, everything in my flesh screamed, it's not true, it's not fair, it's wrong. And as I was reading one morning, I read that wonderful scripture in 1 Peter 1, that talks about Jesus. And this was Peter, who'd understood something about Jesus. Talks about Jesus, that when he was insulted, he didn't retaliate. Talks about when he suffered, he didn't issue any threats. He just 
entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And I just felt God say, zip it. Don't say a word. Just honor those people who are maligning you. And I also felt a, a strange thing. I just felt God saying, you don't get many opportunities to be cru crucified. Now just enjoy it. <laughs> you see, I hadn't realized as a church leader how much of my flesh life had come back, how much of little me had grown to grow again. So I just had to shut up and tell people to honor, tell people to stop being nasty, and, and I won't tell you the whole story, but it, it, do you know, it really, really did something to me, because I realized that even as leaders, even until we're dead, it's still possible to let it grow again. Little me just wants to live. Little me wants to look good. Little me wants to, do you know what I'm talking about? You all look so holy, but you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because, you know, we all do it, but we've got to recognize that we've got to die. There's a great saying, some Christians die without ever really living. Because after salvation, they continue to live without dying. Some Christians die without ever really living because after salvation they continue to live without dying. So have you been crucified? I know we've done stage one, but stage two, have you been crucified? Have I been crucified? Have I reckoned myself dead? Have I put in, taken into account those three things? Or am I still tied to that rotting corpse of my past because of my unbelief? You see, so many people won't let it go. And the key in so much counseling is the whole thing of being able to recognize the truth of 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. I don't know if that's up there. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, you know, we've been baptized into him, we've clothed ourselves with him, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now, it was written like a town crier would say it. Anyone in Christ? New creation! The old is gone, new has come. Now, we don't believe that with our rational mind. We believe, well, that's actually not true. I can't believe that the old is all gone. But the Bible says that the cross has rendered it powerless. We can walk away from it. We can, by faith, cut ourselves off from that rotting, stinking flesh of our old self old man and by faith we can turn to him and let him allow the new creation to come out that we are a new creation but hey my bible says that we work out our salvation from inside out yes when you get saved you know we're pretty rough for months aren't we maybe you lot weren't but i was pretty rough for months you know it, it it takes months for the salvation, the new creation is outside to permeate every part of our life. Our mind gets transformed, our emotions, our sexuality, our behavior, our attitudes, but that new creation is definitely there and it eventually permeates all of us. But it's a process. We have to walk that process, stepping stones to freedom. Those are, that's what, why we have to go through that. But we have to recognize that we can't work it out we just got to activate it by faith. If you try and work it out psychologically, don't even go there. You can't academically work it out. You've just got to believe the cross has done it. You're already a new creation. The old is gone. It's only obtained by faith. And too many refuse to believe that. We've got to die to that old wound, die to that abuse, die to that rejection, die to that guilt, die to that shame, die to all the stuff that keeps on trying to make us look backwards. You see, it's mesmerizing. It keeps on wanting us to turn our faces. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That is so crucial. Daily, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't allow those thoughts, those dreams, those nightmares to keep on haunting you. Just begin to say, get off. Get off, you stinking, rotten old man. You don't belong to me. You have got no legal right to hold me. That is on the cross. And begin to walk out of it. 
we should bring back the band and praise him, but we haven't got time. <laughs> but, oh, what a salvation. What a salvation. What a salvation when all of that is cut off and we can walk off as a new creation in Christ. It is unbelievable, the peace, the freedom when you know all of that's been cut off on the cross. Now, the third stage of the cross, and I better hurry up. The third stage of the cross is myself on the cross daily. Myself on the cross daily. If we recap, first, slavery is broken and paid for in full by Jesus' sacrifice. That's the first stage. Then, secondly, the second stage is sin is broken as the power of sin is broken as my old man is crucified once for all. But then this third stage is the power of self is broken as it is daily brought to the cross. Daily brought to the cross. Now, listen, my old man is all about my rebellion, my independence, my past. It was all my... It's all that stuff. Rebellion and independence. Flesh is different. Because flesh is all about my self-effort independent of God. It's my self-effort independent in God. And flesh can clothe itself in religion. We can in a fleshy way, try and do self-effort for God, to live for him, to do great things for him. And, you know, and we all do it. You know, we think we can do great things for God. I remember when I left the army and I went into business, you know, there was still that little me that wanted to prove itself. So I thought, I can make millions for God. I can do great things for God. I can do wonderful things. Set up a big company. Aren't I good? I'm going to put 10% into running a Christian school. And I mean, it was just, it may have been the right thing because God called me to do it, but the whole motivation was wrong. Little me was trying to prove myself. So God just had to face me up to the fact that, hey, I'm going to take over. So within a few months of uh, starting my business. I was in Korea working with a lot of business directors from Choyonggi's church, and I got taken to the high court, sued by my previous company. And my wife rang up and said, darling, you're going to be, we're going to lose our house, our company, we're going to lose everything. It's all over. And uh, I thought, what do I do? And I prayed that morning and said, God, what do I do? And I said, God, do I stand firm and fight this? Or do I just give in and just realize how stupid I've been? And I walked, as I was walking through Seoul, Korea, I don't know why I'm telling you this story, but as I was walking through Seoul, Korea, I met a little group of nuns who just turned to me. They were Germans. They said, we have the word of God for you. And they held out some Bible markers, and they said, this one will be the word of God. I took the center one, and it said, I know the trouble you've entered today. Stand firm and persevere, because I have chosen the time when I will come to your help. Suddenly, I realized God is in my face. God is behind all of this. I went up to Prayer Mountain, and I prayed all night, and God spoke to me three things. Number one, that I would win the court case. Number two, the other company would go bankrupt. And number three, that the enemy would become my friends. It took two years to win the court case. Seven years for the other company to go under, and in the eighth year, they became my friends. But during that time, God dealt with little me. He made me daily trust him. And in business, I had to put out the bills on the table and say, God, this is not my company, it's yours. God, these are the bills, you need to pay them. It became hilarious. Almost the next day, exactly that money would come in, because now it wasn't my company, it was God's company. And God trained me in faith for those years in business. All of my lessons of faith really were learnt in that business time, being under the disciplining hand of God, where little me had to say, it's not me, it's you. I don't know why I told you that. But anyway, we've got to get rid of this understanding that we are working for God and begin to work with him. We follow him, we work with him, we're obedient to him. So this is the stage 
And this is the pathway of holiness. It's the daily dying to my selfish, self-centered nature. Now, Paul talks about it in Romans 7 here. He talks about another law being at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my flesh, I've changed that from sinful nature, in my flesh, a slave to the law of sin. Now, NIV gets it wrong. It should be flesh, not sinful nature. In my flesh, a slave to the law of sin. You see, in that passage, in 19 verses of Romans 7, he mentions the word me, my, and I 50 times. My father-in-law calls it eye trouble. (laughs) He had eye trouble, and that's largely what we've got to deal with. It's our eye trouble. I have got to be crucified with Christ. And how do we do that? We do it by denying ourselves. And in Luke 9, 23, it says that if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross, when? Daily. And follow me. It's the daily taking up of the cross against my flesh. We've got to understand that. Yes, our old man's totally dead. Yes, we're a new creation. But we still have to daily submit our flesh to the Spirit's control. And so in Romans 8.13, it talks about how if you live according to the flesh on a daily basis, you'll die. But if by the flesh you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So it's a daily thing. Do I get up in the flesh? Sometimes I do. Or do I get up in the spirit? And that's why I try, that's why the whole thing of trying to break bread morning by morning, it's to get up in the spirit, to say, God, I need your spirit. I can't do this in my flesh. So we've got to put to death all the misdeeds of the body, the habits, the sexual yuck of the past, the lust, the addictions, the physical desires, all the things that we struggle with and try and put under the rug. You know, we, we just like to put on nice religious facades, but hey, I'm in Oxford with, with students. You know, so many of them are struggling with this stuff. And they just need to get real and get honest. And the Bible says that if we belong to Christ, we've crucified the flesh with all of its passions and desires. That's Galatians 5.14. Sorry, Galatians 5.24. We've got to crucify our flesh on a daily basis. Now, in real life, how does this really work? It works in this way. It doesn't sound very nice, but in 2 Corinthians 4.11, it says, we who are alive, that's being those who are now in Christ, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Now, why? Why is he handing us over to death? Because the more death works in me, the more life is released from me. Remember, the grain of wheat has to die, and then life comes from it. And so God allows us to go through stuff. He allows us to go through attacks. We have attacks from people. And when we get attacked by people, we learn grace. We should learn grace. We learn tolerance, we learn patience, we learn love. That's when people attack us, and we will go through those attacks. Then, secondly, we get attacks of life, and we learn perseverance. We learn maturity. They're all things we have to go through. And then we have the attacks of the devil, and that's when we learn warfare. We learn to grow in faith. Now, God's going to help you with all of those, the attacks of people, the attacks of life and the attacks of the devil. But in all of those, something is happening. Me is being helped to die, and I'm being helped to be mature, helped to allow the the love of God to pour out of me. The more I die, the more life comes from me. And that's when we need to find grace in those times. The Bible says in Hebrews that we've got to come to the throne of grace And it says, you've got to receive mercy, but then you've got to find grace. You see, you don't have to find mercy, you just have to receive it. 
And many people don't choose to, to, to receive that mercy. The mercy is there. Forgiveness is there. We've got to be forgiven. But then the Bible says you've actually got to find grace. That means you've actually got to look for it. That means you've got to get into prayer and say, God, I need those who ask, receive. Those who look will find. Those who knock, it will be opened. But the Bible actually says those who ask and keep on asking will receive. Those who seek and keep on seeking will find. You know, there's, it's a, an activity of our spirit, daily activity, allowing the spirit of God to grow within us so that our flesh life is contained. So why do we see so little fruit? Because there's so little death. And in the body of Christ, this is what I see most of all. I see so much of me. We're not being violent enough with our flesh. If you compromise with the flesh, it will get hold of you. Do you remember Saul and Amalek? Saul was told, and Saul, that speaks for itself, but Amalek is a picture of the flesh. Saul was told to kill all of Amalek, all of the Amalekites. He compromised. He left one alive. What killed him? He was finally killed by the thing he, he left alive. He was killed by an Amalekite. And you see, it's a picture of the things that we leave undealt with. They're like time bombs in us. And we've all got them. For me, it was, uh, was the fear of man. I mean, I had been, all of the, the lust, pornography, that had all been dealt with at the cross before. But then as a Christian, I was struggling with the things of the fear of man, my stubbornness, lots of other different things. But, you know, God says, you've got to deal with this. You've got to bring it to the light. You've got to get into accountability over it. And you've got to, you've got to sort it. If it's kept in the dark, you'll live with it and it will get stronger and stronger. In my church, in the last church I've left, St. Aldate's, we got people into same-sex accountability groups so that they could talk their stuff. You know, the guys would talk about their problems with internet pornography and their lust and problems in their marriages. You know, they really talk honest. And the women did the same. Because if you bring it into the light, you help each other walk into the light. If you keep it in the dark, you just have a religious facade. We've got to be very careful. I've watched too many people being taken out. I used to uh, send people out to the mission field all the time when I first became a pastor. My impact on churches is, the, is I empty them. <laughs> and we sent out 25, 23 full-time missionaries within the first three years. They just, we just kept on kicking them out. I, we trained them in reaching Muslims, and off they went. And uh, our most highly trained couple who we sent off to Uzbekistan. They, I didn't, in the training, deal with their stuff. I didn't look with the, the searchlight at the stuff they'd had in the past. I didn't cancel them through that. I just trained them in all the mission stuff, missionology, Islamics. Within one year, the wife was in adultery. Within two years, the husband had become a homosexual. Why? Because there was an Amalekite. There was an area that had never been dealt with. And the thing is, if you go and step into the enemy's territory, and Islam works, you know, it's a spirit, it works through uncleanness, through fear and deception. You know, if you step into that and you're not free in the area of fear, uncleanness and deception, you get taken out. And too many people get taken out. I sent another two girls to Egypt. Within six months, both fell sexually. These are great girls. It's because we've got to wake up. We are at war. And if we don't deal with our flesh and live a holy life, walk on the pathway of holiness, we become casualties. Now, we've got to wake up to this. It is not just a theology thing here. I've watched leaders being taken out with adultery, watched them being taken out with control, with addictions. These are leaders. Too many casualties. Too many wounded warriors. Mainly because they didn't see that daily stage of the cross. They didn't take up their cross daily. They didn't deny themselves. So the activity of this pathway of holiness is daily, actively cooperating with the Spirit to take off all of our self-life, killing the, the source of my selfishness, my, my little me inside. 
It's a Colossians 2, 3 moment. You know, Colossians 2, stripping off everything before you put everything on. And too many people don't strip off before they put on Christ. We've got to deal with that. And in counseling, I meet all the time. And it's just like a, a constant thing. I'm meeting the little boy or the little girl that will not die. They just won't let go of it. I keep coming against this thing. And I say, come on, that has got to go to the cross. No, no, it's... it's it, there's so much self, self-pities, self sentence. We've got to put it on the cross. Otherwise, that will control us. It is so crucial that we deal with that little boy, that little girl, that won't die. Now, it's not our holiness. We're not just polishing up our act. Our act. That's just legalism. Hebrews 12 says it's his holiness. And as we allow ourselves to go under his hand of discipline, we begin to share in his holiness. We become more and more set apart for him. And we begin to live a holy life in Christ. It's not anything other than just submitting to his hand of discipline. He loves us. He disciplines us. He lets us share his holiness and his righteousness and peace. We choose to set ourselves apart exclusively for him, emptied of self, set apart to carry his glory, carry his love to the world. But every day we've got that choice, either to submit to the flesh or to submit to God. And we need to learn to take sides against ourself with God. Take sides with God against our flesh. Now, our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And we know that. I know in our spirit we want to go for God. Romans 7 talks about this. I want to do it, God, but my flesh is weak. I want to do it. That is because there is a law working in us. It's the law of sin and death. And that lives daily as we we bring that flesh to the cross, we begin to start more and more living in the spirit. You see, There are such things as spirits of lust. The Bible talks about spirits of lust, spirits of uncleanness. And if we don't deal with these areas of yuck in us and bring them to the light, they become the landing ground for spirits. We may be born again, may be spirit-filled, but we can still become the landing ground for those spirits of lust, spirits of uncleanness, which can then control us. And we've got to get rid of that. Don't give the enemy room. Sin is crouching at the door and we've got to watch out. Either we daily get up in the spirit or we find that the flesh might find an opportunity. Galatians 5, we see the fruit of what happens when we get up in the spirit. Wonderful fruit. But if we get up in the flesh, we also see that list. I'm going to close with this. Just one principle. You will only walk where you live. Sounds a bit silly, but you will only find yourself walking where you live. I live in Oxford. I walk in Oxford. If you're living in a fleshy area, in your imagination, in your TV watching, in your reading, you will end up walking there. If you're living in the spirit, you're living with things of revival, living in just the spirit, that's where you're going to walk. So we've got to walk where we live. That means we've got to stop living as many Christians live, half a foot in the world and half a foot in Christ. There is a law of sin and death. And believe you me, you will be taken down. If you choose to get up in the flesh, that law of sin and death pulls you down like gravity. But if you choose on a daily basis to get onto the cross, believe the covenant, just give yourself to the Spirit, that law will lift you up. You won't be doing the things that you used to do by habit. But it's our choice. Stay in Christ. Be lifted up. Or to be sucked down. Get on the plane. Stay on the plane. And keep your eyes fixed on him. And daily let the cross do its work. Amen. So Father, we just want to thank you for the power of those three 
stages of the cross, that you've dealt with slavery to Satan. You've dealt with the power of sin, and you've dealt with the power of self. Lord, what an incredible salvation. Lord, it is a, a totally adequate, more than adequate. Lord, it is completely sufficient to set us free, totally set free. And we pray that revelation would come and we'd be able to walk onto the next side of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.